Hello Bottom Baptist, it's lovely to share this message with you from God's Word. I had hoped to be able to preach today, but that's not possible. So I'm going to read Isaiah and chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train, that's the hem of his robe, filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. So last year, Alan asked me if I would preach at Potton and gave me some dates. And I put down in my diary the uh, date to preach, but we didn't know then that we'd be in a crisis, crisis that plunged most of the world. I've been shut in since March until this week. I hardly went out of the house apart from a daily walk, keeping a safe distance from everybody around me. Isaiah faced a crisis. The whole world in a crisis now, but what was the crisis that Isaiah had to cope with? It was a crisis the king had died. Judah, 732 BC, King Isaiah, who had reigned for 52 years, had died of leprosy. God's prophet at that time was Isaiah. What was he to do in this crisis? He went into the temple in Jerusalem. Worshipping God was the best thing that he could do. And that's what we need to do in this crisis. Instead of panicking, we need to stop. We need to think. We need to pray. We need to see God in this situation. It's not taken him by surprise. So pray. That's the very best thing we can do. So then, let's come to this passage in Isaiah 6. And I have four points, and the first is the sovereign. Listen to Isaiah's words. He said, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Verse 5, he tells us, My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He saw a greater king than Isaiah. He saw the divine king who not only rules 
the world, but he rules the entire universe. He is the creator and he reigns in the world that he made. Who was the Lord? Now the Apostle John tells us in the 12th chapter of his gospel, the 4th gospel, that it was Christ who Isaiah saw in the temple. Now that seems strange, you say, but it's what theologians call a theophany, an appearance of God, an appearance of Jesus before he was born at Bethlehem. From time to time in the Old Testament we read about this angel of the Lord, it's Jesus, who appeared to people at different times and it was the Lord who appeared sitting on a throne to Isaiah in the temple. He calls him in verse 5, the Lord of hosts, that is Yahweh or Jehovah, who appeared to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus three fourteen, and commanded Moses to go to Pharaoh and uh, demand him to let the captive Israelites go free. So what are we being told here? The Lord of hosts. We're being told that Jesus is God. We could say that he is Jehovah Jesus. The human king had died, but the divine king is eternal and unchanging. He talks about the Lord of hosts, verse 5. The hosts there are the angels. There are thousands of angels who worship God and do his will. So where was the Lord when Isaiah saw him? Look at our text, Isaiah 6, verse 1. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. He is the sovereign. The death of the king did not take God by surprise. Indeed, the king's death was a punishment from God. He was a leper when he died, and he was a leper because he disobeyed God. He had tried to offer incense in the temple, which God had said only the priest could do. As a result, Isaiah was struck with leprosy, which eventually killed him. So, God was in control. God was punishing the king. God knew exactly what was happening because he planned it. It all part of his decree. And it's encouraging to know at a time like this that God is in control. He knows exactly what he's doing. And isn't he trying to wake people up to think about him, to seek him, and to pray to him and seek the Lord for salvation? All the things people trusted in have proved to be empty and useless. So, as Isaiah worships God in the temple, we read verse 4, And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. In the Bible, fire, smoke are symbols of God's presence. Think how at Sinai the whole mountain shook. There was thundering and lightning. It was the presence, the awesome presence of God that the people felt in the days of Moses in the wilderness. So there's the sovereign. 
Isaiah sees the Sovereign, the Lord, high and lifted up. God's Son is Sovereign. He is the Lord of Lords, King of Kings. So let's think then about the Seraphim. Isaiah not only sees the Lord, he also sees and hears the Seraphim, verse 2 and 3. Above him stood the Seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The seraphim are a very special high order of angels. The word seraphim means fiery ones. They were warm and hard and fiery in their love for the, for the Lord. And uh, they had wings ready to serve. They flew swiftly, quickly, immediately at God's command. As they did here in the temple, they came to Isaiah. They covered their faces. Seraphim, angels are holy, and yet in the presence of the Sovereign Lord, high and lifted up, they cover themselves. They feel so unworthy to be in the presence of such a glorious, holy, almighty, unchanging, eternal God. If that's how angels feel in the presence of God, should we not praise him? Should we not fill our own sinfulness? We read that his glory fills the whole earth. He is present everywhere. We call that his omnipresence. Seeing the Lord on a throne means he's omnipotent, almighty. His glory fills the earth, tells us that he is omnipresent. He is everywhere. So angels feel unworthy in his presence. We who are sinners should certainly feel unworthy in the presence of such a holy God, shouldn't we? It's interesting the seraphim say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Maybe that some of the angels, seraphim, said, holy, 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 and then other seraphim took up the theme and responded, and what a sight, what a scene, what a song they sang. But holy, 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 three times. Is that a hint of the Trinity? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, each person of the divine Trinity is holy. It might be a hint of that. We notice later that they say, uh, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Us? Surely God isn't talking to the angels. Surely it's God Father speaking to God the Holy Spirit, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Yes, there might be a hint there of the Trinity. And I've already said that verse 1 is a theophany, it's an appearance of Jesus Christ. 
how can you have God the Father and God the Son? Because there is only one God. That's clear. Deuteronomy tells us there is only uh, one God. Uh, and other scriptures too. So how can we have one God? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Not three gods, one God, but three persons, the Trinity. Well, it's not categorically taught here. You have to go to other passages for that. John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. But there may be just a hint of it here in Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So there's the sovereign God, the Son, upon the throne of heaven. There's the seraphim worshipping him, ready to serve him, adoring him day and night. In heaven, believers will hear and see the angels. They will see the Lord on his throne and the seraphim and cherubim and all kinds of angels and all the redeemed around the throne. What a day that will be. We ought to keep that in our minds in a day of crisis. The sovereign, the seraphim, and then there is the sinner. We read here about the sinner. Woe is me. Now this is Isaiah 6. The attributes of God. By attributes we mean what God is like. The attributes of God just team out. They fall out of every verse of this chapter, especially these six verses, one to six. We learn that God is eternal. The king has died, but God is eternal. He's unchanging. A king dies. His life was changing. But God is unchanging. We have learned that God is sovereign. He's on his throne. He's controlling all things and knows all things because he's planned all things. We've seen that God is powerful. The whole temple shakes at the very presence, the voice of God. God speaks and the whole temple shakes. We've seen that he is everywhere. The whole earth is full of his glory. Omnipotent, the omnipresent God. He's the all-seeing God as well. That is another word, omniscience. He sees all things. He could see the condition in Judah. He could see uh, that Isaiah in the crisis was in the temple, wondering what to do, uh, seeking God's mind and God's will as a prophet in a day of crisis. He sees us. He sees all things. He knows all things. And he's a God who cares for us cares for his children, for you, for me, for each one of us. How wonderful that is. How we all told on to that truth too. But what can the prophet do? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Here are seraphim covering their faces in the presence of God. What can Isaiah do? There is only one thing he can do. And that is to realise his own sinfulness. That's why we read here in verse 5. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, 
the Lord of us. What can a sinner do? What can a person do in the presence of a holy God? We can only fall down like Isaiah and cry out, Woe is me, for I am lost. Woe is me. The prophet saying, I deserve to be damned in hell. I have no merit before God. I can achieve nothing. Woe is me. If God does not save me, if God doesn't hear me, if God doesn't hear my prayers, then I'm lost forever. There is no hope for me, whatever. I am lost, he says, far away, alienated from God. I cannot come near to this holy God in, in my own strength and by my own ability and achievements. No, I cannot serve this God. Woe is me, for I am lost. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt your own wretchedness and sinfulness in the presence of this holy God? It's what Moses felt at the burning bush. He falls down on his knees, puts his face to the earth, and uh, the writer of the Hebrews says he quaked. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like John on the Isle of Patmos, exiled for preaching the gospel? He falls down before this God and says, I'm a sinner. Job, Job, back in the Old Testament, says, Behold, I'm vile. What a man calling, what are you doing, Job? Calling yourself vile? No, no, you've got to have self-confidence. You've got to think well of yourself. You cannot go around saying, I'm vile. But that's how he felt. That's how we ought to feel in the presence of God, that we're sinners, we're unclean, we're lost. We deserve nothing. And we're on the fast track to hell if we do not seek the Lord, if the Lord does not forgive us. We must feel this sinfulness and worthiness in the presence of a holy God. This is the beginning of conversion. This is what it means to be a Christian. If we do not feel something of this unworthiness and sinfulness in God's presence, then you're not a Christian at all. And this is the beginning of what we call revival, God coming and pouring out his spirit among us and coming down in mighty power. The church believers have to feel, woe is me for I am lost. He was Isaiah, he's a child of God, he's already a prophet. And here he is crying out, woe is me for I am lost. That's the beginning of conversion, I say. It's the beginning of revival. It's the beginning of a real relationship with God. And we will be greatly blessed if this crisis brings us to this position where we cry, woe is me, for I am lost. Have you come to that place? Has this crisis made you wake up to your spiritual need, to your spiritual emptiness? Do you cry out with this urgency, desperation even, woe is me? For I am lost. But what particular sin is this man aware of? He says, I am a man of unclean lips. God has called him to be a prophet. He's already a prophet. God's confirming that call here in Isaiah 6. So he needs clean lips. Holy lips, clean lips to speak of a holy God. He feels unworthy to do that. He feels, how can he speak for God, such a sinful, unworthy man? How can he speak for the holy, sovereign, mighty God? We should feel that too. God is so holy, 
How can we who are sinners ever speak for him? But God says, I want you to be my servant, Isaiah. He says, that's you and me. I want you to serve me. But I've got unclean lips. But God can make our lips clean. He can make us clean through and through. He can equip us and then send us into his service, as you shall see in a moment. So he says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. So it's not just Isaiah who's a sinner, it's the people in the midst of a people. But you're not judgmental. He doesn't point the finger at them and say, well, I'm Isaiah and they're a bunch of sinners. That lot reprobates they are. No, no. He says, I dwell in the midst of a people. He identifies himself with the sinners. We're all sinners, he says. And that is true of us all. Are we judgmental? Are we critical of others? pointing the finger at them, we should point the finger first at ourselves and then we should identify ourselves with sinful people. He says, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. If you see the King, well, you cannot see him in the sense that Isaiah did, but you can see him spiritually by faith. You can perceive how great and glorious God is. That is to see the King, the Lord of hosts, Jehovah, Yahweh of hosts. If you've really seen him, if you've really perceived how great and glorious, full of majesty this God is, you cannot help but fall down before him and cry out, Woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. So we pray that God would wash us clean. Wash our lips clean, wash our minds clean, wash our eyes clean, wash our ears clean. Wash us completely clean, thoroughly, inwardly, deeply. We ought to pray, take my life and let me be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. The words Francis Ridley Avagal, 19th century hymn writer here in England. So we looked at the sovereign. It's the Lord Jesus Christ himself who the prophet sees high and lifted up, the one who rules not just the earth, but the entire universe. We have seen the seraphim crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Maybe a hint of the Trinity there. The whole earth is full of his glory. Is omnipotent. Potent, he's powerful, almighty. He is uh, omnipresent. He is everywhere. And, he's on, and he sees everything. He knows everything. He has planned everything. We've seen the sinner. Woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts.
but God washes clean the sinner. Look at verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hands a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my lips and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. So the seraphim, representing God, serving God, take the burning coal from the tongs and place it on those unclean lips. Now the altar was the place of sacrifice. It was there on the altar that the lamb, the animals, bulls, goats, were, 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 were sacrificed. The animal died instead of the sinner. There was substitution. The guilty sinner deserved to die, but the animal died instead. The altar speaks of sacrifice, of substitution. But that's the Old Testament. Animals. We don't offer animals on an altar. No, but we turn to the New Testament, John chapter 1, verse 29, and we read John the Baptist pointing to Jesus as, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So it's the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus, who died on the cross. He is the substitute. He is the sacrifice. He died in the place of penitent sinners there on the cross. Now, the book of Hebrews tells us that the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. It covered sin, but it could not take it away. But the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world. He accomplishes what all the Old Testament sacrifices could never, never accomplish. So how can a holy God forgive sinners like Isaiah? How can this holy God forgive you and me of all our sin? Because Christ has died in our place. So the hymn puts it in my place, condemned he stood. Hallelujah, what a saviour. So there is a saviour for sinners. Isaiah says, he touched my lips and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. That was good news to Isaiah. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Taken away, completely, forever, gone, taken away. As the psalmist says, God has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. As the prophet Micah says, he has cast... All our sins and iniquities into the depths of the sea, they are gone, 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 gone forever. Because the blood of Christ has washed away our sins, taken away your sin atoned for. That means Christ reconciles us sinners to the Holy God. And this is a reconciliation that is forever. It means that God accepts us and it means that God will never condemn us as Romans 8 tells us there is now no therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus so we may come 
Yes, we need to come as sinners. We need to cry out, woe is me for I'm undone. But we come to God through Christ and he accepts us. He receives us. We must praise him. We must adore him for this wonderful, wonderful salvation that comes to us through Christ. So there is the sovereign. The seraphim. Isaiah hears the seraphim. There is the sinner crying out, woe is me. And yet God says to him, he says to you and me, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. But there's one more thing here. Sovereign, seraphim, sinner, the sent. Verse six, 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go. Say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. So, the one whom God has forgiven, he sends. God the Saviour, who forgave Isaiah's sin, now sends him to share this message with fellow sinners. If an angel came with this message, we say, well, you don't understand. You're sinless. How can you tell us about a saviour but here's a man like us who was a sinner is a sinner and yet he's been saved he's been washed clean Isaiah comes to his fellow uh, Jews the fellow Jews in Judah and says look God's forgiven me he can forgive you too and he's willing to do so if you come to him in penitence in repentance so we can go to sinners yes we are sinners but we can go to them say, look, God has forgiven me. He can forgive you too. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? What response can you possibly make to that other than that of the, of the prophet? Then I said, here am I. Send me. Here am I. It's the attitude of the servant before the master. The attitude of the citizen before a king, here am I, ready to do whatever you want me to do, ready to go wherever you want me to go, here am I, send me. Moses said, send Aaron, my brother. Isaiah says, send me. Me, Lord, send me. All of my unworthiness, all of my sinfulness, all of my inability. All of my weakness, send me. That's what the Lord does. He sends you, he sends me. Paul says to the Corinthians that we have this treasure in jars of clay. We're just fragile, weak jars of clay. But in the jars of clay is the treasure, the treasure of the gospel, the treasure of the good news that there is a saviour for sinners, even the worst of sinners. And the Lord pours out his treasure from the jars of clay, from you and from me. Here am I, send me. Are you ready to obey the Lord's commission? Are you ready to go? People in your family, your friends, 
people at school, people you work with when you're able to, your neighbours, people in Potton, do you say, here am I, send me, whatever you want me to go, to whoever, to whoever you want me to go, I will go, here am I, send me. The Lord said to his disciples after his resurrection, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. But I'm so weak. Yes, of course you are. So am I. But he gives us the power of his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, who lives in us and equips us, empowers us to go with the gospel. Paul could say in a prison that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. As I could say that, we can say it, you can say it, I can, that the Lord will use us and equip us and we can do anything, everything, whatever he wants us to do, whatever he calls us to do, wherever he sends us, to whomever he sends us, we may do uh, with his strength, we may serve him. So he says, go, go. Jesus said before his ascension, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go. And if you read on in the chapter, verses 9 to 13, the people to whom Isaiah was sent would not listen. Most of them would not listen. But there were some. He talks in verse 13 of a tenth. There will always be some who will listen to the gospel. Many, many, the majority will reject him. But there will always be a tenth, always be some, a remnant, some who will believe, some who will repent, some who will come to the Lord through the witness of our church and through the individual Christian sharing the gospel. Think of that as you teach the children, as those of us who preach, as you talk to people individually. Sometimes you may give out tracts, leaflets around the town of Potham. The Lord will always bring some to know himself. So there is in this chapter, and what a wonderful chapter it is, the Sovereign, the Seraphim, the Sinner, and the Sent. So then let us pray. We thank you, O God, then, for this chapter here in Isaiah. We thank you for that day in the crisis when the King had died, that he saw you high and lifted up. And we praise you that you saw something of your glorious holiness, your might, your power, that you were internal. Though the king had died, you were still alive and you were enthroned in heaven. Thank you that he saw something of his own sinfulness. Woe is me, for I am undone. But we praise you that there was the altar, that there was the cleansing, that there was a taking away of sin, that there was reconciliation with you the holy god and we thank you that uh, you sent him thank you that he was willing and obedient and said here am i send me oh lord give us that humility give us that attitude give us that readiness to serve you as the seraphim flew with their wings to serve you may we swiftly 
obey you and seek to take your message to people today. So, Lord, we praise you. Pray for those within the church at Potton who are facing problems of health and age. We think of Cliff and Iris, we think of Mike and uh, Doreen. Think of the children who may be going back to school now and uh, others who have been working from home and going back to work. Lord, you'll be with each one. You'll keep each one safe from this virus, oh God. We pray that we may look to you each day for your presence, your peace, your strength. So our God, hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you, Potom Baptist. It's been a privilege to share this message with you. May God bless it to you and may God peace be with us in Jesus' name. Amen.